It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. On your Wednesday episode of Locked On Raptors, OG Ananobi's name is officially in the trade market ether per Shamsterania of The Athletic. We will dig into what it means for the Raptors and whether, in fact, they should look at dealing OG Ananobi for what feels like the fifth day in a row, but it's all we can talk about. Plus, some bigger picture feelings conversations about the Raptors, who are kind of drifting right now in search of some sort of identity, and we'll talk about all of it with our feelings correspondent, Katie Heindel. Of course, it's a whatevs Wednesday. Because when I shot, I expected to make it. So I don't shoot kind of miss. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on? Welcome to episode number 1332 of Locked On Raptors for Wednesday, February the 1st. I am your host, Sean Woodley. I've been covering the Toronto Raptors now for nine seasons on various platforms. You can find all of my work over on Twitter at WoodleySean. You can follow, subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast for free on all your favorite podcast apps. And of course, you can go and subscribe to the show on YouTube. It's much appreciated when you do that. It helps to build the following. You join a little family over there, and we get to uh, be more visible on YouTube, which is always a good thing. Help the algorithm, I always say. Today's show is brought to you by our friends over at FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. All right, on today's show, we've got OG Adenobi trade wins flying about the NBA. We're going to dig into the latest there, and then we're going to bring in Katie Heindel, of course, who is here already on the call. <laughs> we're going to dig into her piece for Basketball Feelings this week about the Raptors, about roster churn, about losing in the in, in the hopes of growing one day, and how much losing is too much, plus some other big picture sort of ethereal things about where the Raptors stand eight days from the NBA trade deadline. Katie Heindel, how the hell are you? Good. You, you you got me. That was funny. You're bringing me in. <laughs> bringing me in. in. I'm not going to lie to you, Katie. My brain is just saying <laughs> things today. I mean, I've been a little under the weather the last couple of days. Migraine city, all of that. I'm a oh, little yeah. bit in a, in a fog, uh, as I'm sure you can relate as a migraine sufferer yourself. But mm-hmm. uh, we got a lot to get to today. OG Ananobi, I guess, is the place we can begin before we dive into your wonderful piece for Basketball Feelings, which is linked down in the uh, description if you want to go read it. Pause the episode, read it, and then you'll be prepared. You've done your homework for the episode. But Katie, yesterday, Sean Strania reporting that the Raptors are now taking calls on OG Ananobi. I don't know if this is terribly surprising. I I, I would figure they would always be at least taking calls on any of their guys just to see does some sort of crazy godfather offer come in. Um, But you know, the teams like the Knicks and the Suns have been thrown out as potential suitors. Curious your sort of initial reactions to it being said full out there in, in the in the wild that OG Ananobi is in fact potentially an object to uh, of other teams' affection that just might move at the trade deadline. 
Well, it's kind of silly, right? Because you knew this was happening every season. They're obviously taking calls and listening. Mm -hmm. It's a way for them to also gauge the value of their players at any given time, even if they're not mm -hmm. looking to move anybody. You have to assume that, you know, season over season, they were taking calls and feeling interest for all their big players, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I think the interesting thing is why release it as news. <laughs> the The best yeah. case scenario I could think was just like someone asking for comment and yeah. being like, are you, and this also folds into the, the news that they're not gonna take calls until they're back in Toronto. Right. Which is right. like, that could have just come from someone being like, yeah, we'll talk about it when we get home. Yeah. And then it, be, then it kind of like snowballs into, it's a, it's, you know, a scoop. It's not a yeah, scoop. Yeah, it's not a scoop. Uh, it's not a scoop, <laughs> and it's not really uh, legibly written in plain English either. No. Uh, you know, it, it's all no. the, it's nothing we haven't heard before. Mm -hmm. Yes, OG's name is out there, and maybe that's new, but also, again, not terribly surprising if you've been reading mm -hmm. the tea leaves or paying attention all season long. Um, we've been talking about potentially thinking about moving OG on this show for like two weeks at this point. So um, it's not news. And really, I think the update is the Raptors are still kind of deciding what they're going to do. There's not really much movement on that front. And, you know, the reports are they could trade one of their players. They could trade all of their players. They could trade none of their players. No one's really sure. Here's your news. Uh, you know, insider brain and all of that is a, is a scourge. But as far as just like conceptually, Katie, mm -hmm. moving on from OG, I've talked about it on this show quite a bit of late, and I, I'm, I think it's an interesting thing to talk about a lot because I don't think there's one right answer to the whole OG conundrum, and I don't think, um, you know, and I think a lot of people have very different opinions on it, which I think is interesting. I'm kind of curious, where do you come down on the idea of, just in theory, the OG move being the move for the team to sort of get back as much as you can. He's mm -hmm. probably the most valuable player they could trade right now when you factor in, you know, the, 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 the sort of competitors arms race that might happen here between the teams that might fancy themselves one OG away from winning the title. Uh, you know, as some of the reporting is suggested from other folks, you know, down in Arizona and whatnot, maybe the Raptors are sort of a little skittish about paying OG his next contract in 18 months time. I think that's maybe fair, but we, we can talk about that too. Mm -hmm. Just the general sort of concept of moving on from OG Ananobi. I think maybe a couple months ago would have felt entirely blasphemous. You know, this guy's playing at an, at an NBA, all, all NBA defense level. Uh, he's playing potentially as a defensive player of the year level. And now it's sort of like, huh, maybe he is the guy just as sort of a proactive measure to keep your books clean going forward while also rebalancing the roster around Scotty Barnes, Pascal Siakam, and whomever else you decide to keep by the end of the year. Mm -hmm. I mean, we haven't, I wouldn't say it's a money thing because we haven't really seen this front office hesitate to spend money, you know, when they need to. Right. Um, mm -hmm. I think even, you know, I go back to thinking about that Serge Ibaka and Marcus all like those contracts. I think that was less a money thing, whether or not I agree with it. I think that was less a money thing than it was those guys wanted two year contracts. And the yeah, and they wanted to, to keep their power yeah, drive for Giannis. Contracts, yeah. exactly. Worked out great. <laughs> yeah, as we can see. So I think, you know, where there have been mistakes, it's been more of like the length of contracts, right? Mm. Uh, and rather than who's getting paid. So I don't really put a lot of weight behind that. Uh, mm -hmm those reports um i get why they're kind of they're coming up but i don't mm -hmm. think that's the way the front office operates in terms of og i guess my main hesitation i understand it because if you're going to make a swing you have to make a big one because yeah. otherwise you're just making a lateral move and you're going to wind up in the same place that you are now right you're just kind of yeah. tr trading talent for talent uh, and it, it won't be an upgrade so i mm -hmm. get the 
thought of, okay, like who of our, who are our best players on our core that we're willing to part with? I mean, I, I could, it could be Pascal, but I just don't see that happening. I don't see that happening. No. with Scotty Barnes. Um, and like the Fred question now, I mean, I think a lot of teams it's, I think it's a, a little harder to, right. to shop up point guard and somebody with, uh, Fred's skill sets, you know, yeah. and I think OG is like such a ready component that can just be slotted into so many teams right now and make them instant championship sure. contenders. So I get it. What I kind of still waffle at is doing it now versus mm. doing it a little bit later on in the summer when there's more people available, right? Sure. Because now sure. it's kind of like, you know, the field, you're probably just hoping to get back some picks, but then it's yeah. like, are you making this trade to contend this season? Probably yeah. not, not at a championship level, but like how far do you think you want to go now? And then how far mm -hmm. do you want to go if you make a trade? And right. is it like, let's get in the playoffs and give guys experience? Is it like, let's just try and get through this season and figure out what our aims are next mm -hmm. season? And you and I, we're going to talk about that in a little bit, but um, that's where I kind of waffle at is like, what's the move for? Yeah. I think the like the argument for why you move OG is it allows you to sort of retool on the fly and mm -hmm. set yourself up to be competitive next year. I, I think moving Fred, that's a little more difficult because if you take what Fred does out of this mix, the team is bad. Like it's just there's not enough creation, there's not enough shooting, mm -hmm. his playmaking and ball handling. Whether you are a, an anti-Fred person or not, I know there's lots of those people out there right now. His skill set is crucial to the Raptors being a passable basketball team right now mm -hmm. as we've seen over the last month as he's played very well and the Raptors while still not picking up a ton of wins have looked like a more formidable actual normal basketball team which has been refreshing considering how ugly things were in December OG obviously his sort of big skill the wing defense he provides is maybe the most irreplaceable thing the Raptors have on their roster but by like an amalgamation of Precious Achua, whomever you bring in as the return for OG, whether it's players or picks that you maybe, you know, move in the in the summer, whatever it might be, you can sort of reallocate different things to your roster, rebalance things a little more effectively because of the just the volume of stuff you would get back in exchange mm -hmm. for OG and Anobi. And I think that's the argument. It kind of gives you a head start on going into next year. But the same argument applies if you trade him in the summer as well. Right. And there's more suitors like you like you alluded to. I think the reason to consider it now is all of these teams that, you know, the Grizzlies, the Pelicans, the Suns, these teams might feel like they're an OG away from actually winning the title this season. Mm -hmm. And maybe that creates a bidding war where it is the most you're ever going to get for them. But maybe the sort of just the, 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 the ample supply of other teams who could throw their hat in the ring still gives you the same effect in the offseason. Um, you know, that's the beauty of it, though, is the Raptors don't have to trade OG right now if they don't want to. If they get a package that, that you know knocks their socks off, sure, go go nuts. But they're not in a position where they have to move off of him. And I think that is a pretty good position of strength to be in going into the deadline here. Um, you know, it, it's there it's the type of trade that can blow up in your face so dramatically that it costs people their jobs and makes fans sort of build lore around what a dumb trade it was. Like that's the type of player OG can be in theory. Mm -hmm. I also kind of understand if there are concerns about paying him his next contract. The one thing that I find to be a hang-up there is in the NBA today, where offense is king, and who knows if that's always going to be the case. It probably will not. These things are cyclical. But right now, offense is king, and defense only gets you so much. Like Individual defenders are only going to power you to such a good defense if the, the rest of the operation is not really on the string. And offense 
is pretty irreplaceable. It is such a valued commodity, and OG Ananobi is not a dude who can create his own shot effectively or create for others effectively on the same level of a Scotty, a Fred, or a Pascal. And paying him $35 million plus a year, which is what he's going to get, maybe that's not the best way to allocate that money. We can continue to sort of examine that going forward as well. And, you know, again, th this is not going anywhere on Friday. Joe Wolfon's coming on the podcast. We're going to dive full on into the arguments for and against moving OG. But uh, hopefully that's enough as like a, you know, a little update on the news and where we're at on the OG thing here eight days from the deadline. Katie, we're going to come back on the other side, get into your piece for basketball feelings on loss and growth and just sort of spin it into a bigger conversation about where the Raptors sit right now. It's all very weird. It's uncharted water for a team that's been really competent and normal and good for 10 years. We're going to get into all of that coming up in just one second. But first, got to tell you about our friends over at FanDuel Sportsbook, the number one sportsbook in America. We're really excited about FanDuel because if you're a new FanDuel subscriber, it's even better than if you're an existing one because they have so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. You can download the FanDuel app now so you can bet on Super Bowl 57 with a no-sweat first bet, meaning you'll get up to $3,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. FanDuel lets you bet on everything from the money line to point spreads to who will score a touchdown. Everybody loves all the crazy props at the Super Bowl. Go have fun with them over at FanDuel. They're all listed for you there. Gatorade colors, first type of score, all of that good stuff. The FanDuel Sportsbook app is safe, secure, and super easy to use. Best of all, you can get pager winnings instantly, which you gotta love. Join the FanDuel app today. Go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to claim your no-sweat-first bet on Super Bowl 57. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL and of LockedOn. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and LockedOn NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, we continue on here with your first listen of the day. Katie Heindel of Basketball Feelings and Dime along here. You wrote a piece, Katie, this week uh, at Basketball Feelings about swimming, about the Raptors, about loss, about growth through loss and how much loss is too much. Um, you know, looking back at the sort of roster turn of the Raptors and the way things have evolved since the championship. I guess first off, sort of what was your impetus to kind of go deep on the Raptors like this, Katie? I know obviously you're a Raptors fan, but, um, you know, you cover the whole league at large. What was the sort of, uh, you know, inciting incident, if you will, to have you put together this piece about the Raptors and sort of their their drifting sort of post-championship weirdness? I think it was around conversations I've been having with friends who are close to or cover the team and also mm -hmm. friends just kind of in this business at large. Um, not all at once, but mm -hmm. the way that they'd been kind of stacking up and the things that people had been seeing and like that they were sort of, in, we're seeing one thing, but we're not really talking about what we're seeing. Mm -hmm. Everything is more of like this immediacy of the problems with the team. And I'm just always interested in trying to go back to figure out where things started. If you can mm -hmm. go back and figure out where things started, sports is very, it's like the easier an easier plane to be able to do that in than like mm -hmm. life for example <laughs> and uh the more i thought about it the more i thought like well actually like this i don't think this is new what's happening mm -hmm. to the team i think we had like a couple coast there was like 
you can kind of break it down into two parts, hmm. maybe three parts post-championship, right? Which is the season you expected to have immediately after the title, which was probably going to be another winning season. Uh, it ended have... up somehow being better than even expected. <laughs> well, not really. Minus the whole COVID shutdown yeah. thing. But <laughs> yeah. like, as far as the quality of the team and the spirited nature of their title Would defense, I think that was like a dream season. But I also think the break really... Mm. Uh, impacted a lot of like Pascal Siakam wasn't able to like play basketball or work out for months mm -hmm. and months and months. And like, I mm -hmm. think you saw some of those kind of conditioning problems and like disruptions to life and like people's psyche, right. Mm -hmm. Coming to bear in the bubble um, as much as, yeah, it was super entertaining. You've got Tampa after that. Um, you've got things starting to really splinter apart as we talked about a little bit earlier, because you're starting to lose um, mm -hmm. your veteran players and like players that hold a lot of institutional knowledge, but also seem to like hold relationships together. Because mm -hmm. one thing I've kind of been noticing around this team is like these guys don't really talk to each other mm -hmm. that much. And I know I've in the past, like I've said, you know, like everybody on a basketball team doesn't need to be best friends. There is such For a sure. thing as work friends too, but it's very, there's like a bigger disconnect than at least I've seen since I've been around the team. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you could hear, like I wrote about this in the piece, but like in previous seasons, you could hear like Kyle Lowry, like kind of hooting and hollering or like <laughs> guys just kind of yelling and talking. And there was like a lot you could hear from just outside the locker room. Like it, mm -hmm. there was a really kind of packed and uh, like fun energy there. And I also, I think I wanted to write this because I was looking around the league, even at some of like the goofier, like the Nas Reed thing. <laughs> who was saying like Nas, who was it that's like every time he passes Nas Reed, he says Nas Reed. Oh, um, Jalen Noel? Is that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's like goofy things like that. The thing of what's his name? Um, Boston coach doing like somersaults looking Joe at. Joe yeah, yeah, Joe Mazzula doing somersaults and looking at um, Marcus Martin saying, you can't do that. Like, there's kind <laughs> of a, not to be like goofiness is a, so all important, but yeah. like the teams that are, you can see the difference of teams that are very like, well put together, um, had a lot of good chemistry there, have been together for a long time and are winning. You have all those factors. Like those seem to be the teams that this season especially are having yeah. fun and like having a good time. And it is an important component, right? Mm -hmm. um, and again, like everybody doesn't have to be best buddies, but I just like, I kind of question what those relationship lines are. They're not as clear this season. Maybe that's like a better way to put it because also like yeah. we only know what we can see. Exactly. Yeah. We so, don't know who's uh, playing yeah. Jackbox with one another on Friday nights after games. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so all of that, you know, and like more private things I won't mention, but like all of the, those kinds of conversations, it just mm -hmm. sort of led me to want to go back and think about like, well, where did this start? And like, also, where is it going? Because it seems yeah. like last season and this season, there's so many differences and the team is not that different on paper. Yeah. like really whatsoever right and they should have just improved into the season and they haven't um there's real disconnects there's like contract stuff as we're seeing there's like who's talking to who fred's firing his agent like there's a lot of mm -hmm. kind of upset and like turmoil and i think like impasses in basketball don't just come up quick they can seem like they did like with this season and the raptors it, it's like intriguing it's appealing rather to say like this all have this happened out of nowhere like what's wrong with the yeah. team but that's not the case like this has been something that's been building and you haven't really been like re kind of like re trying to resupport, you know, and like build up the scaffolding around the team. And another thing that I don't think gets talked about nearly enough is the amount of um, assistant coaching and like yeah. coaching talent that has since left the team, that has yeah. left the team since the title. Some like doesn't seem like it's on the greatest terms, some because they've been poached away, you know, and they've gotten better offers 
elsewhere that mm -hmm. are better for their career. Um, it is like an accelerant league. Sometimes you just got to jump at chances that come up. But sure. again, like through a lot of the people you've lost, like I think Sergio, Jamma, you lost Brittany Donaldson. Like you lost a lot of Patrick people. Mutombo, that, yeah. Patrick Matumbo. Patrick Matumbo, yeah. Like mm -hmm. what a generous and just like kind, like wonderful man. Like you've lost a lot of people that were personalities and seem mm -hmm. to have like a real deep level of care. And again, not to suggest that like the, the coaches you have around the team now don't, but uh, I haven't really, it's also tough because this is an organization that is kind of, you know, they keep their coaches sort For of sure. like close to the chest yeah. than other teams do uh, in terms of just like availability and like who you can kind of talk to. So, but it, there's just like, a, there's a feeling of loss. And I think yeah. that's what was the most intriguing to me. And I just, it's hard to kind of parse, right? Because part of it, I feel like, is just sort of the normal cost of being a functional and successful NBA team is you're going to have talent poached. There's only so many spots for talented people. Mm -hmm. And there's also the inherent cost of winning a championship, which the Raptors are paying for right now. Their roster is shallow at the back end because they haven't had first round picks because they traded them for Kawhi Leonard and Marcus Gasol. And worked out all right. <laughs> like you don't you don't apologize for any of the stuff that got them the title, but we're now nearly 4 years out from it and I do wonder when that sort of honeymoon period, the sort of acceptance of oh, this is just the bill coming due, we'll catch up on our bills and sort of reset some point soon here. I wonder when the sort of point of, you know, impatience comes for people within the team, people who observe the team, people who root for the team, all of that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I guess it is sort of a, a question of is this just what happens? You know, the Raptors weren't good for a very long time. This is the first time the franchise is experiencing what happens after you win a title. And obviously some teams go on and win more titles. The Warriors are obviously the example, but the Warriors mm -hmm. have Steph Curry and Draymond Green and Klay Thompson, a sort of one-of-one one trio of players who no team can, can claim to have. The Raptors didn't have that. That wasn't their mix. It wasn't a homegrown core necessarily. And, you know, there was atrophy on the roster after they won the title. And it makes sense, but... I do wonder sort of where the line is between this is just what happens when you win a title and you have to expend a lot to get there and, you know, or, and where does it come in where the front office is now, you know, actively involved in the things that are going wrong and mm -hmm. in the, the coaching staff is actively involved in the things that are going wrong. And that's been the difficult thing with this team all season long, Katie, is I don't think there's one thing to point to. It's just a lot of small stuff that's piled up to lead to this sort of noxious stew of vibes that we've seen this year. Um, and then you get into sort of the the negative feedback loop of losing. It's why I'm so anti-tanking. Losing sucks. Everybody hates losing. Everybody <laughs> really, really is upset when their team is losing basketball games. And the team and is it upset. has a cost. Exactly. Yeah, and I guess the question upset. is, do the does the losing come as a result of the bad vibes? Are the bad vibes the result of the losing? Is the chicken or egg thing? Um, and again, I think it kind of speaks to there's no one sort of root cause of what's going on with the Raptors this season. It's just a lot of stuff piling up. Or maybe you have a thought as to what the root cause, cause is, Katie. I mean, I think the goal in basketball is always to not be so cyclical. Is just to, to mm. figure out a steady state for your team. So that's when, sure. like, you're losing. If you lose you can still kind of roll with the losses and mm -hmm. learn from them and kind of, and buckle down and just like do what you got to do to get through them. But there mm -hmm. isn't that feeling of tension and there sure. isn't the feeling of like such pronounced defeat and just like malaise and bad vibes, which is what mm -hmm. the feeling is this season. You know, mm -hmm. like the Raptors have gone through in the last 10 years, some pretty losing teams, but I, it, it didn't feel and I, I swear this is not like recency bias. It just, there didn't feel like there was that big of a disconnect. Yeah. Of like what 
needed to happen and what the team could do versus now it's like what needs to happen and what the team can do are so seem like some nights, you know, like feel like worlds apart. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, I don't know what came. I think what came first was probably this has been building. Mm-hmm. And some of this, I will also go back to say, like, it's obviously out of the team's control. Like yeah. they were asked to go to like relocate to play a season. Mm-hmm that was out of their control. You know, I think there's like, I don't know if we'll ever hear the full story of Tampa because I feel like they don't want to talk about it. It would be the most upsetting documentary you've ever seen. You just have to Uh. think about like the longer (laughs) lingering impacts that something like that is going to have on not just like your relationships, like with your Mm -hmm. teammates, but just like yourself and kind of what you've gone through after just like immediately going through like a, a a closed season and then like a bubble season, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and nobody has really processed that stuff yet. So some of this is just like out of their control. And Toronto, I think, got hit with it a bit yeah. harder than some other teams did. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, of like maybe not realistically or honestly, like looking around the locker room or your front office and saying like, oh, it feels like there there might be something up here instead of yeah. just like trying to kind of power ahead and like bulldoze over all those concerns, which is what we're seeing now. Cause it's fine and good to say like, we're going to have a two season look and mm-hmm. kick the tires, which is like what Masai said last season. And a sure. part of you is like, is that true? Is that just like a PR stance to be like, gives us a grace period where we can underperform and be like really wonky as a team. Sure. Sure. And we don't have like a goal because I think that's been another thing too, is not saying what clearly what yeah. the goal is because how that trickles down is we've discussed all that these- this year. Yeah. Yeah, as you have all these core players, especially now who have like contracts coming up, who are like, well, what's my role here long term? Mm-hmm. Is there mm-hmm. one? How do I fit? Are we going to be contenders again? Because like the NBA, like your NBA career is short, right? So you've yeah. got to capitalize on it while you can. So I can also see the appeal for someone like OG going somewhere where immediately there's a clear path for him and a clear for sense sure. of like what his expectations are, you know, where he kind of slots in, what the vision is for him on that team. And I think that's sort of absent right now for a lot of guys. So that's going to cause some tension and some, you know, probably discomfort and like uncomfortable feelings too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a, uh, <laughs> it's, there's a lot at play and I do think maybe sort of the overarching thing here is maybe a little organizational hubris, which I want to dive into in the next section here, Katie. We'll do that in just one second. Before we do that, however, I want to tell you about our friends over at Built Bar. You know Built Bar by now. We've been talking about it for years on the show. That's because they're delicious and they're a wonderful partner with us here at Locked On. Built Bars, if you haven't tried them yet, go do it. They are the answer to anyone who says, I don't really like the taste of protein bars. Guess what? Built Bars taste delicious and they also make you feel like you're being indulgent without actually being indulgent and in fact being good for you. Your average Built Bar has 17 grams of protein, only 130 calories and 4 grams of sugar. That's a fraction of what you're getting in your typical candy bar and it tastes just the same. You get that candy bar feel. You get that, ooh, I'm having a little cheat snack right here feeling without actually cheating you get wonderful flavors like churro peanut butter brownie coconut almond and so many more i got some raspberry in my fridge right now i got cookies and cream in my fridge right now put them in the fridge that's your little trick by the way they're delicious coming out of the fridge go right now and head to your local walmart today walk into the pharmacy section grab yourself a box of built bars pick up a four box of cookies and cream or double chocolate or coconut puffs the puffs are delicious too those little marshmallow delights go to your nearest walmart pick yourself up some built bars this is jake from locked on Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. 
After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Barea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Barea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Barea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, we continue on here with Katie Heindel digging big picture into what ails the Toronto Raptors from the top down. And I do think, Katie, there has been unquestionably a little bit of organizational hubris that's been kind of maybe the, the the source of a lot of the problems here in that you win the title. How could you not feel great about yourself after winning the title, right? It makes a lot of sense. They fancy themselves a potential Giannis destination. That doesn't work out the way they hoped. It leads to uh, this multi-year trouble with the center position that they've continued to grapple with and, and you know, come up with game plans to suggest ah, who actually needs a center we don't need that uh you know it's kind of spiraled from there there's the nick nurse side of things where it's hey this style of defense this style of play it works when it works and all you got to do is try real hard and it's going to work but guess what it's really hard to try real hard 82 times in a row as much as they're all professional basketball players human nature suggests being at 100 percent on all the time is very difficult which is what the raptors schemes typically require mm -hmm. um you know i think there's been this sort of organizational thought that oh well we can just get anybody off the scrap heap we can get an undrafted free agent a second round pick a late first rounder and turn them into players and it's not really happened pascal siakam fred van vliet wonderful success stories but those are once in a generation type uh things that have happened twice to the raptors in terms of development arcs it's not an easy thing to replicate and they have not replicated it it feels as though the sort of connection between the g league and the nba is a little less established than it used to be mm -hmm. um and then you have the whole vision six foot nine thing where it's like we're going to change basketball we've solved how to play the sport and that hasn't really come to fruition either i'm curious katie on your thoughts on sort of organizational hubris the idea that we are going to be the smartest we're special everyone else is dumb maybe that's been kind of one of the top-down issues that's sort of plaguing everything and maybe just maybe these couple years of uh you know last year was a success obviously but this year the tampa year maybe the, this is the sort of slap in the face the front office needs to maybe think okay maybe our our, our, our poop does stink a little bit <laughs> i mean i don't think it's tough. Like you don't want to think it. Every anybody has it like coming to them. But mm -hmm. I do. Um, hubris is just so weird to to like give as a quality to a basketball team. Yeah. Uh, I think at some point, yeah, when around the league, the the conversations have been like, oh, the Raptors, like what a great organization, top to bottom. You know, one of the best in the league. Like that kind of stuff's going to catch up with you because you have to every year you have to be working if you want to talk about like nick nurse's games as an organization you also have to be working to reinforce that right and that we talked about that earlier i don't think in some regards that's really been happening i'm glad that you mentioned the 905 raptors kind of disconnect because that was so crucial in past seasons and it seems like you you like that's such a separate entity now because i guess the thought is oh we don't need it anymore 
But like you still do because like look at someone like Christian Colocolo, right? Yeah. Or like, you know, a lot of the guys that you picked up in the summer, um, to your point of guys that you picked up off the scrap heap, geez, Sean. Um, I know, I'm a ghoul. I'm a ghoul, Katie. <laughs> I mean, like look at Otto Porter Jr. and like that young, guys like that who, yeah, you don't want a ton from them. Mm -hmm. But, and like, I think that's been phenomenal, like the times he's been playing. But it's, but again, I, I think there's this like, what do you want from us? Because you're not, you're not getting from them, I think, what you thought you would at the beginning mm -hmm. of the season. So the Hubers thing is interesting. I also think that, you know, teams fall in and out of favor. It's happening with yeah. the Grizzlies now, right? Who haven't really done anything. They're playing the same way they always have, but people are like, they hate that team. They yeah. think there's like too much bravado. So Which people, I don't get because I think they rule. And yeah, the fact that they lost so five fun. games in a row after talking smack uh, is even cooler to me. Yeah. That's metal. Like there's no way, <laughs> like, you know, and people, you know, this happened, this has happened to the Warriors so many times now. Like they are kind of like the, what would you call it? They're like the prime example of what it is to like fall in and out of favor and then mm -hmm. to kind of not really care and still go on to win championships, right? Mm -hmm. They this, also this might be happens. the prime example of organizational hubris, what about their light year stuff, but it actually works for them because again, they have Steph Curry. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think like you play, play, this happens to players, this happens to NBA teams. It's like when you hit a certain peak of popularity or notoriety, people do want to tear you down. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think that's necessarily right, but I also don't think the Raptors maybe haven't helped themselves as much as they yeah. could have. Um, by making, by just like letting things, I think, coast a little mm -hmm. too long. Because now you're seeing what happens when like everything has coasted and you actually don't have a spark yeah. anymore. Like everywhere you're kind of looking that you you did have a spark before, whether that's from like, you know, kind of getting freaky and weird with your coaching schemes. You've lost a lot of that talent. Can you mm -hmm. look to the 905 to call some guys up? You can't really. The pipeline is sort of closed, mm -hmm. you know. Um, Nick Nurse hasn't really adapted in a lot of ways we'd like to see him to your point like that is the scheme play as hard mm -hmm. as you can all the time mm -hmm. can't really do it when your starters are playing 43 minutes a game yeah. and you don't really have a bench <laughs> unit to speak of to and if you do it's the the weirdest thing that just kills all the momentum in a game so all these yeah. sparks are have petered out mm -hmm. and i think that is the result of coasting so yeah i suppose that is the result of hubris there's also the sort of other side of this coin where maybe it's not so much hubris or coasting it's just exercising patience and realizing you can't remake the whole thing overnight and you know i think we'll see a lot about their sort of capacity for patience with this team based on their behavior between now and the deadline next week and mm -hmm. you know if they don't do anything of note maybe their thought is yeah like you know it hasn't worked for us but we're okay to sort of take the time here because we do sort of believe in what the end result can be as we sort of continually double down on our identity and get more players who can play that style you know precious achua becoming this sort of exciting guy to sort of you know build the future around type dude of late at least in a lot of people's eyes has i i think you know kind of almost validated the concept of building the team the way they have i don't want to say vision six nine but i gotta I say mean... it just so people know what i'm talking about like <laughs> But like Precious Achu is the type of player they're looking for. You just got to get more guys like that. It's just really hard to do that. Yeah, you can't do that. Uh, yeah, I, th I think, I also, and I think the NBA, yeah. it's like you need it's patience, but like there has to be purpose behind that patience. And right yes. now, the tension, a lot of this tension, it's one thing to say like we're totally behind like the the growth and we're patient and we believe in our guys, but where is the tension coming from? Then? The tension mm -hmm. is coming from that's not getting communicated at some level. There's a communication yeah. that's like we're not happy with this. Yeah, for sure, and you know. I also do wonder, 
a year from now if Scotty Barnes continues to look like Scotty Barnes has looked for the last month and a half and um, you know does the thing everybody expects him to do which is ascend to something resembling star status and the team starts winning again because of it then all this stuff goes away pretty quickly right and everyone's happy again winning is a pretty good way of sort of resolving your tensions that Raptors team that won the title had all sorts of tension internally but they were awesome and so it kind of papered it all over and I do think there is hope and optimism to be had looking at Scotty Barnes, looking at the upward mobility the Raptors still have. Obviously, they're going to add in a pretty good pick this year as well. Um, there's reason to think that there are better days ahead, and this might just be sort of a, a one-year setback where a lot of the things that we kind of critique the front office and the coaching staff on were just like so ripe to be critiqued. And maybe that phases out in time. You know, these things play out over multiple years. But uh, it's a it's a weird stew right now, Katie. It's uh, no one seems terribly happy. There's all sorts of and you know varying degrees of validity to the people who are reporting them, but all sorts of smoke regarding people being unhappy within the team and fascinated to see how it plays out over the next eight days I, you know that's a boring thing to say i'm really interested to see what's going to happen here but i am because i think it's going to tell us a lot about what the raptors think of themselves and are they sort of looking internally and reckoning with have their decisions maybe not been the greatest here are they going to try to rectify those are they going to get out in front of them are they going to double down on what they've done the next eight days are going to be super telling on that and uh i'm finding this team if nothing else extremely fascinating to think about katie because it's kind of unlike anything we've seen and I do think this is just sort of like life as a normal basketball team. The Raptors spent the last nine years being an abnormal basketball team where there wasn't strife, where they were good, where they did win a title, where there was sort of a constant, we are the Raptors, this is what we are, this is our identity, screw you, rest of league. And this is maybe kind of more normal life where not everything is figured out, not everything's perfect all the time. And uh, we'll see. Katie, any parting shots here before we round this bad boy out? TPD. <laughs> well said uh anything you want to promote katie uh no you can go uh read that uh piece on basketball feelings if you like at basketball in the description go check yeah. it out <laughs> yes um go subscribe to basketball feelings i'm a paid subscriber i'm a happy happy customer it's the best thing i pay for uh you can go and uh also remember buy some tickets katie and i are going to be on a panel next week a week from yesterday yeah, february the 7th as a special guest though i think you've been announcing yourself on it <laughs> All along. Well, I, I, I was, gave, was given permission to do that. Uh, <laughs> they wanted me to promote, and I wanted I to give away tickets on the show, so I had to make it known I was going to be there. Mm -hmm. um, but you'll be there. Vivek <laughs> Jacob is going to be there. It's going to be a Locked On Raptors takeover on one of the panels with our pal Catherine Niker as well. Mm -hmm. uh, it's going to be great, so be there. February the 7th, the Rivoli, 6 p.m. Uh, get your tickets now, raptorsrepublic.com. That's going to do it. Go find the show on your favorite podcast apps and all that stuff. Subscribe, rate, review. We're on YouTube. Go hit the big red subscribe button there. Go make your second listen of the day. Locked on Leafs as Mike and Dave are documenting everything the buds are doing throughout this crazy NHL season. And we will talk to you again tomorrow to break down Raptors Jazz. Hi, David Locke. Bye-bye. Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.